Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys today. I told the tech team before the first service, I was like, the, unfortunately, the bumper video is way cooler than the sermon. Um, that that kind of cool sci-fi thing makes me want to go watch Interstellar or something like that. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any sci-fi for you today, but uh, I do believe in Bigfoot. I don't know if that's enough to sort of uh, to go that direction. But we're jumping into a brand new series today called Little Big Things. How many of you that are married encountered this experience um, at some point during your early years where you realized what you think is a big deal and what she thinks is a big deal or what she thinks is a big deal and what you do are very different things? Because maybe from your family that you came out of, you would tell a particular type of joke and you think it's hilarious and then your spouse is like, it's inappropriate, right? Or vice versa, and you go, well, this is what we do at Christmas, and we always eat the pheasant on Christmas. The pheasant is pleasant, and your wife's like, that's crazy. We always eat, you know, the Christmas hog. How many of you know, sometimes you, have, you get mixed up a little bit, little big things. And marriage kind of exposes that, that what you think might be a small thing or a little deal is actually kind of a, a big deal. And when we talk about Jesus and how he looks at the category of money, it's one of those things. Now, whenever a pastor says the word money from a pulpit, I know people get uncomfortable and all of a sudden remember, oh, I left the air conditioning on in my house. I need to get out of here. Don't worry. We're not taking up any special offerings or anything like that. But we are going to talk about generosity and we're going to talk about Jesus' perspective on money and how for us it might seem like a little thing, but to him, it's actually a really, really big deal. Because how we view money, how we spend it, how we save it, how we invest it, all of how we interact with money it deeply impacts our relationship with God and it deeply impacts our relationship with other people and really our posture towards the world. Now, as we talk about money and we talk about generosity and why it's actually a big deal in the teaching of Jesus, in the heart of Jesus and what that means, I want to celebrate our church for a second because we are a generous church. This is one of the things that I, I am just humbled and honored to be a part of Joy Church because from really the very beginning, when we were 20 people in the living room, going to be about 30, 40 people at the community center where we went next and then to the movie theater, from day one, we have had a heart as a leadership team and then as a congregation to be generous uh, in, in our finances towards God and towards his kingdom. I remember a few weeks into us being a church, we actually gave a bunch of money to a church plant. And the pastor of this church plant was kind of surprised. He said, well, you guys are a brand new church plant. What are you doing? And I thought, he thinks that we're dumb and we don't know what we're doing. And he was right. <laughs> but not for that reason. Uh, he, he said, why are you giving us money? We, we just started, but you guys literally started after us. Like you're a newer church. It'd be like if you just had a baby and here's your, your six month old and they, they kind of tap you and they go, mom, you've really been taking care of me now for the past six months, and now it's my time to pour back into you, right? Is, Mom, is there anything I can do for you? Would you like to talk? Maybe I could just give you the night off and sleep through the night. How many of you know that doesn't happen? So here we were as a baby church, and we said, you know what? We believe so much in the principle that the Bible teaches, which is sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest, that we believe that you will never outgive God, that any seed that goes into the ground, into the kingdom of God, into good soil, it's going to produce not just itself again, but it's going to multiply 30, 60, 100 times. I've never been driving through Harrisburg or Junction City 
and, and looked out my window and, and heard a farmer out there as he's planting seed just crying. Oh, it's so sad. I'm losing this seed. No. He understands that when you put the seed into the ground, that it turns into a harvest and it's actually a joy to plant seed, right? And that's a, that's a principle that is biblical, this law of sowing and reaping. And so as a church, we've been generous. And because of that generosity, God has blessed us as a church. I'm so grateful for this wonderful facility that God has given to us. I'm believing that, that we're just barely scratching the surface of what God can do with our finances and resources. Because I have kind of this audacious idea that the resources and finances that God is giving to us as a church are not just for us, but they're for our city and our community. I believe that Joy Church one day will be the largest and nicest and, and most positive donor to all the major social initiatives in our community. I believe that, yep, I believe one day that we will see homelessness and people living on the streets and addicted to drugs and out of their mind and crazy and doing crime and all that kind of stuff that we'll see it end. And it's not going to come because a politician decides to do something. It's going to be when the people of God and the house of God rises up and transforms the atmosphere and environment, which doesn't just mean that we have prayer meetings and everybody gets goosebumps. It means that our dollars that come in here actually go into the, the services and that we go, hey, police department, we'd like to come alongside of you and help you. What do you need? Hey, mayor of Eugene, mayor of Springfield, county commissioners, what do you need to make this place look like heaven? We're here to make a difference in word, in deed, with our finances, all of it. God wants to bless us richly so we can be a blessing. Come on. We're just scratching the surface. I believe God's going to raise up many of you in this room, and you're going to love this one prophetically. Come on. To make a lot of money. But it's not just so you can have the nicest car and the, the, the gold diamond grill, you know, on your teeth and smiling. We're like, woo, you know. You can get that. That's fine. But God wants to bless you to be a blessing God wants to put great resources in your hands. Some of you that have businesses, God wants to take it not to the next level. He wants to take it 10 times, 100 times. Why? Because there's a lot of things that if he can get it to you, he can get it, if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. His purposes and his plans that you're blessed to be a blessing. And so I'm excited that we already are a generous church. I'm excited that we're going to continue to be a generous church and that God is going to do great things through our finances and resources. Uh, in the micro, in our own personal individual lives, but also in the macro as we give and serve as a church. And so we're talking about this over the next few weeks, how to unlock this generous life and look at something that might seem small, small acts of obedience, baby steps, if you will, in this area of finances and the large impact that it makes when we surrender it to God. Jesus talked about money so much in his sermons. Um, it's interesting because to Jesus, it was actually a really big deal. And we'll talk about why that is here in just a minute. First, we're going to look at Luke chapter 12. It says, someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus says there's a different target, a different measurement of life. And if you measure life by who has the most stuff and how much stuff can I get and making money or wealth or possessions the target, you've got the wrong measurement. And then he tells them a story. In verse 16, he says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, self, 
My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Or as Nacho Libre would say, Takarisi. <laughs> Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, how many of you go, that's a good ending to the verse. Praise God, what did you learn about in church today? Eating, drinking, and being merry. This is the American dream, but it's not the kingdom dream. Now, did you know that you're going to eat and drink and be a lot more merry in the kingdom of God as you give your life to Jesus, a lot more satisfied, fulfilled and, than, than you ever could be by living for your, your own way and, and living for yourself? Absolutely. But Jesus actually calls us to lay our lives down, and he says in that way you're going to find it when we give our life for him. But the American dream is that I'll work hard and by the sweat of my brow and my great intellect or whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll build my resources and my wealth and I'll build bigger barns and I'll store up and get that 401k nice and fat. And then someday I'll be able to takarisi and I can just eat and drink and be merry. I woke up this morning. I said, Bethany, I had a great dream last night. Most of the time in my dreams, I'm standing up here. I don't have notes and I'm nervous and stumbling over my words, which is usually what you see on a Sunday morning too. But that was funnier than you give me credit for. Anyways, <laughs> last night I had a wonderful dream. I dreamed that I was swimming in the beautiful clear waters with white sand beaches. I was somewhere in the Caribbean and I looked up at the resort we were staying at and it was this massive white kind of castle looking place. And I looked over and Bethany and I were floating there and I thought, that's a good dream. How many of you know? That's a good dream, right? That's kind of the American dream that eventually I'll sort of store it all up and I'll just be able to take it easy. But Jesus goes on. And it says in verse 20, and this is where it gets a little bit scary. He says, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, let me be clear. What Jesus did not say is that it's a sin to have a nice farm. Maybe your farm is your business. Most of us aren't farmers. Some of you probably are, but... Uh, I'm not a farmer. We have a, a, a nice garden, but that's about it. Uh, we wish we had a farm, but we don't. But whatever your business is, however you make a, a living, that's your farm. And it's not a sin to have a nice farm. It's not a sin to have your crops prospering and having to build bigger barns. In fact, that's not the sin and that's not the problem. Jesus tells us the problem is when you make that the focus and at the expense of a rich relationship with God. You see, the, the thing with money, and you'll hear it quoted this way, but people will say, well, money is the root of all evil. But that's not actually what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And what's actually happening when it comes to money and our relationship with God is it has to do with worship and allegiance and what comes first. You see, there are people in our congregation today that have a lot of wealth and a lot of uh, blessings in their life financially, and they have a rich relationship with God. There are others that don't have enough or maybe are poor and also have a rich relationship with God. Did you know the absence or presence of money does not dictate whether you have a rich relationship with God? It is rather the posture of your heart. And so what Jesus is pointing out is a guy who had lived his life with the wrong target, the wrong measurement, and he warns us, don't get caught in this trap of chasing riches rather than a rich relationship with God. This is a new posture of the heart. And this is utterly, completely transformative. When we capture this idea, what it actually does is it allows us to truly prosper because there are many people who make money their God and they serve money, they pursue money, they chase money at the expense of a bunch of other things. That recently I read a book 
that I'd wanted to read for a long time because I'd heard many people, especially in the entrepreneurial community, talk about this book. It's a, it's a, I think it's written in the 30s or maybe 40s. It's a book called Think and Grow Rich by a man named Napoleon Hill. And I read through this book, and the problem with my brain is I can't turn off my philosophical, analytical, uh, gospel lens when I read things. And so I will always read things and go, well, that's good, that's good, that's good, but that's not the gospel, that's not the kingdom of God, that's the ways of man. And in the book, there's a lot of good principles, and I'm not throwing it under the bus. Uh, There's some weird stuff in there, too, about envisioning people that are dead and stuff, but we'll just leave that aside. Sometimes you got to eat the fish and spit out the bones, right? But uh, in this book, he says, you can have wealth, you can have money, as long as you make it the sole focus of your thoughts. And I thought, yeah, you can. Because that's what the scripture calls the language of faith and vision. That if we will envision in faith and we'll serve and we'll lay our life down and we'll give our affection and our allegiance, if we will worship, if we will but bow down at the altar of this God called money, then that God will bestow upon you the blessing that he can bestow. But how many of us know that person who chased riches, who chased money, who made money their God and they sacrificed their children or they sacrificed their marriage or they sacrificed their health? And we must hear the words of Jesus echo in our hearts and minds who says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? What does it profit? So is Napoleon Hill wrong? No, what he's saying is if you worship money, money will bless you and you can get money. But I don't want money in a vacuum. I don't want money as my master. I want Jesus as my master and money as my servant. And like Christ said, what we want to do with money is get our heart posture that says, I seek first the kingdom of God and all these things are added. That my provision does not come from my workplace. It doesn't come from the government. It does not come from the economy. My provision comes from my father in heaven. That I do not live my life in fear and worry and torment about money, but rather I trust the God who made everything with his very words, who will provide for my needs according to his riches in glory. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus says, don't get caught in this trap. I want to talk today about four steps to unlocking this heart of generosity and getting our heart positioned correctly when it comes to money. Number one, we need to put God and money in their rightful place. Remember, I said that to Jesus, money was a bigger deal than we often make it. Many times we like to diminish what is important to God and maximize what is important to us. And rather, what we should do is say, what did Jesus actually talk about? Now, I didn't write down the statistic, but I think it was something like 15 to 20 percent of Jesus' sermons were actually about money, which when you think about it is a lot considering the fact he was only ministering for three years and had a lot of things that were pretty important. So why is money such a big deal? Let me tell you why. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says this, Don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Principle one, your heart follows your treasure. I've heard it said, where your heart is, there your treasure is. No, Jesus actually says, your heart is tied to on an invisible string to where your treasure is. Now, I understood this intellectually until a few years ago when I understood it practically and actually. Uh, at the time, I had a lot of investments in stocks and options, and I'd kind of gone heavy into the market, and I thought I was a genius. You know how this is the normal progression of manhood. 
Um, you get really into World War II history, you think you've cracked the stock market. You know, it's just these things. So I'm at that stage in my life. Now I'm at the broke, humiliated stage, but, um, but God's really good. No, I'm just teasing. But at this time, had a lot of money on the market, and we were over at the coast at Honeyman, and we're camping, had the kids there, and nice day, and my uh, investments were kind of all in the line, and I think it was a Friday, and the mar- last day of the market was open, and I remember waking up kind of in a panic because things weren't going so well, and I was like, I got I to get internet, and I drove down to this market, and I got my laptop on, and I'm sitting there in the, it's like 6.45 in the morning, and, and I'm stressed, and I, I couldn't enjoy my vacation because I all of a sudden realized where your treasure is, there your heart is. Now, if somebody were to say, what are your real values, Jake? If you're on vacation with your family, what should a pastor do? What should a Christian husband do? Well, I should have been serving my wife. I should have been with my kids. I should have been eating eggs and bacon and leftover marshmallows from the night before. But I was sitting in a parking lot at a quickie mart or whatever it was on my computer, freaked out, red-eyed, looking like a cartoon character in there or something. Because of the principle that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I couldn't detach myself from it because there was too much on the line. Now, am I saying that you should take all your money out of all earthly endeavors? And No, because we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And it's not about that you don't have investments. We do have investments. It's not about that you don't have businesses or jobs or income. It's not that. It's who is the master of this, but understanding the principle that where the first priority of your treasure is, your heart will be there. Which is why from day one in in Bethany and my marriage, we said we want our heart to be in God's kingdom. We want the heart of our family to be in his will and in his purposes. And I consider investing in heaven where moths and thieves and vermin do not break in and steal and destroy to be the safest and most wise investment that we can make. And so from day one, we said we're going to put our money into the kingdom of God. We're going to allow God to dictate what we do with our finances. You see, you might be thinking, well, it sounds like what you're saying is Jesus kind of like wants even my finances, not just my sort of worship. And yes, that is what I'm saying. Being a disciple is this recognition that you're all in. I'm all in with Jesus. If Jesus says, put, the, put this, uh, these resources into this endeavor, then I'm going to do that. If he says, don't, then I'm not. He is master. I follow him. He gets everything all of my life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus goes on in the second principle of getting God and money in the rightful place. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, why does Jesus make this such a clear, powerful statement? Here's why. Because money can only play one of two separate roles in your life at a given moment. Money can either be your servant or it can be your master, but it can never be both. You see, you are either in submission to God and your money is in submission to you and, and, and in submission to him, or you've placed money, or as the Bible calls it, the spirit of mammon, this, this God of money, this idea of money as something to be pursued and of intrinsic value and worth, rather than a tool to serve God's purposes through your life, you, you can have it one of these two ways. Now, here's the deal. Money is a wonderful servant. How many of you would love to have that dream that I had last night be a reality? Like, man, what are you doing this week? Heading down to the Caribbean, you know, and uh, not a pirate. You know, I'm just going down there as a tourist. 
and uh, I get to go to the white sand beaches and I get to lay there on the, the hammock. One time we were living large down in Mexico. We thought we were really having a great day and they had these beautiful beach cabanas, these big king size beach cabana beds and we were there with our kids and we're laying out there and all of a sudden this guy walks up and he's like, excuse me, senor, uh, you can't, you, you have to pay for this. And I was like, oh, <laughs> we're going to go to the other side of the, <laughs> of the beach here. Um, money is a wonderful servant. I don't know about you. I asked first service and everybody was too nervous, but I would actually like to have more money. Would anybody else like to have more? Thank you. This is a more honest group here. So, you know, I don't know what you have uh, right now, but even if you have a lot, it's nice to have more. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it, like, it's really fun to have a lot of money, right? It's nice. There's been times in our, our life where we kind of had a little bit more, and you, know, you just kind of walk with a little bit more swagger, you know what I'm saying? It's like coming in, you're like, yeah, I could supersize this uh, combo meal, please. They're like, really? <laughs> yes, I'd like to supersize. Money's a wonderful servant. You know what's amazing about money is when you're sitting somewhere and all of a sudden God shows you someone and says, hey, why don't you just bless that person? Or when you, when you see uh, a, a, a local organization or the church says, hey, we're going to build you know, building or whatever, and then God just kind of puts that little you know, teleprompter in your heart, pushes, pushes the button, and you go, oh, yeah, I actually have some resources here, and I'm blessed to be a blessing. Giving is incredible. There's been some times in, in our life where God spoke to us to give sacrificially and give in a large way. And it was incredible to actually have the, those, the, the zeros and ones in the bank account to actually be able to write that check or put it on the digital thing or whatever and actually give. How many of you know it's actually a pretty good servant? And to go on vacation and to bless your kids and to pay for the education you want and not be under money's thumb. But when you make money your master, it is a terrible taskmaster. Again, how many people have we watched that said, I'm going to do what Napoleon Hill said. I'm just going to make money the sole focus of my life. And what ends up suffering is they lose their soul. They lose their marriage, their kids, their, their physical health, their emotional health, whatever. And they sacrifice to the altar of this false god. And when you make money your master, you're, you're drinking a well of sand. It's not going to satisfy you because you get into this, this rat race. And why would you want to be in a race with rats? And why would you want to win? You're the best rat, you know? Like, I think we all understand this. And, and money is kind of like fire. You think I can play with it, but I won't get burned. No. No. Whenever we've been pulled, whenever I've, in my life, I've been pulled into worshiping money, where I made it the focus and object, because, you know, there's always a worship war happening in our hearts, isn't there? Am I going to worship the God of political influence? Am I going to worship the God of money? Am I going to worship the God of of wokeness or whatever it is. And there's one God that's worthy of worship and we sang about him today. When I've given my heart to money, when I've done that, I find that my greed increases. It's like my hunger increases and every, the more I get, the less it satisfies me. And so we must put money and God in their pro proper and rightful place. Because if you're a servant of God, which is what we advocate, in case anyone was confused, we want to be servants of God and we want money to serve God and serve us and be a tool for the fulfillment of kingdom purposes and God's blessing in our life. The second principle is this. As we get God and money in their rightful place in our life, 
We need to then defeat debt and control our spending. These two things go in hand in hand. Now, as a culture, we are a consumer culture. And, and I'm not speaking at you, I'm speaking with you. This is who we are as a culture. We're consumers, and our debt is out of control. If you ever want to have a minor heart attack, then look up one of those calculators that shows how much national debt we have and how fast it's increasing. And some of this is frustrating because I know it's not fully within our control as a culture. Sometimes we've elected political leaders and they're absolutely driving us into the ground. I don't care what letter they have next to their name. Because I actually, I'm only 38 years old, but I know how to work a budget. And we don't have one that's functional as a nation, in case you didn't realize that. It's not a hard problem to solve. It's an uncomfortable problem to solve, but it's an easy answer. Okay. So, I didn't get enough agreement, but it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Some of you are like, the word budget is like a cuss word around here. Okay, well, um, debt is a symptom of a sick heart of an out of control thinking I'm going to get fulfilled by purchasing or consuming. Um, what, when your master is Christ, then you can say my fulfillment is in Christ, therefore I don't need more stuff. And I don't need to keep up with the Joneses or run a race with rats. I can actually live within my means and I can have joy and fulfillment even if I don't get to take the vacation that Pastor Jake had a dream about. You know, I, 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 can, I can let God provide for me and I can let God work in my life and what I have I can be contented with. And that doesn't mean God won't bless you and give you more resources and finances. But let me just tell you, contentment and satisfaction is not a byproduct of your bank account. It's a byproduct of who you worship. And when Christ is on the throne, you can be satisfied in Christ. And like Paul say, I can do well with a lot. I can do well with a little. Amen. And so uh, one of these principles is walking in wisdom as followers of Christ. I love the Bible because it gives us grace in that God is going to come and save us out of our mess, but he doesn't just give us grace and then go figure it out. He actually also gives us wisdom. And wisdom tells us how to live and how to walk according to God's ways so that we can be blessed. And let me tell you why we are prosperous as a nation and why the the Western world has so prospered. It's because we actually built our society, at least some some people deny this, but they're they're wrong. We built it upon Judeo-Christian principles. And so we said, okay, if we operate according to biblical precedents and principles, it actually does result in a, uh, a blessing to society at large. I remember as a, as a young couple, Bethany and I, we started off our marriage, and, and we're going to talk about this more uh, in, a, in a future message, our story, so I won't go into great detail, but we started off our marriage in a lot of debt, uh, mo- so much debt. We didn't necessarily realize how much it was at the time. Um, but one day I remember we were out, out to eat and we were going out with family and I was eating my food and I, it, it almost like started to taste bad because all I could think about was the $50 bill for the, the lunch going onto this mountain and pile of debt and it was crushing us. And it felt like hopeless that we're never going to get out of this debt for the rest of our lives. We're just going to always be playing catch up and, and eating catch up packets, you know, because that's <laughs> all we can afford. And God, in his mercy, actually brought some training and some teaching and some new ways of thinking. And praise God, we don't have any debt. We haven't had any debt for years. And I don't want any debt. The the debt we have right now, we have a mortgage. And I don't even want that debt. Because the scripture says the borrower is slave to the lender. And I I don't want to be a slave. I want to be free to be who God's called me to be. And the presence or absence of money doesn't dictate what I do for or with or through God. Amen? How many of you would like that? 
Some of you, a few of you are like, I liked it. I love it. I just want to marry it. Okay, well, we're going to help you. We don't want to be in debt. You know why? Because you're blessed to be a blessing. If you're financially free, then there isn't a God of money, the negative or the positive thing. It's not coming and saying, you can't do such and such because. You know what the only voice that I want all of us to hear is the voice of the father saying, all right, son, all right, daughter, time to go this direction. Time to put that that cash into this church plant. Time to invest in the the crisis of our society. Time to uh, move in step with what I'm doing. So uh, we want to defeat debt, control our spending. Number three, trust God with your tithe. Now, tithing, just to be clear, what does that mean? It means giving the first tenth of what God gives you back to him or paying that back to God in recognition that what everything we have has come from him. So tithing very simply means every dollar that comes into your life, you take 10 cents and you give it to God. You give it to your local church, and we'll talk about that in a second. And we do that as an act of obedience and an act of principle and an act of worship And it's a simple yet transformative thing that is one of the most basic ways for you to blow open your your relationship with God and to say, even in my very uh, natural act of how I handle money, I put God first. Do you know that almost every issue in life is solved by putting God first? If you have an unhappy marriage, if you have a bad relationship with your kids, if you can't get free from depression and discouragement in your mind, Most of what society will tell you is to to make sure you fix all of that and then present yourself to God. What the scripture actually says is to put God first. And it says this in sometimes some very shocking and offensive ways. There's a story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. Elijah shows up and he speaks to this widow. It's a a woman. We don't know. Her husband's gone, dead, obviously. She has a small child. Elijah shows up and he's like, how's it going? And she goes, well, not so hot. We're in a famine and I have enough oil and enough flour to make one cake and my child and I are going to eat it and then we will die. (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) Debbie Downer, you know. So Elijah, in this moment, he shows up and he's sort of God's representative. He's the prophet of God to the nation of Israel. And here he is, and he meets this woman, and she says, all I have is enough to eat one more meal, and then we're going to die. And Elijah's like, well, we actually have this really awesome food kitchen down at the temple, and we're going to invite you there. Uh, We have this program. No. Do you know what Elijah says? Why don't you go ahead and make that cake for me? I don't want to go to that church, you know. (laughs) I read that, and if you read that and you don't know what comes next, it's an ugly-sounding thing. But you know what? The woman recognizes I'm speaking to God's representative. She, she, she understands the principle of what's actually being said here because what Elijah's actually saying is put God first and see what happens next rather than see what happens next and then put God in his place. Like it, 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 it's kind of weird, but I think God actually wants you to think of him as God. We've turned God as American Christians into an option as an upgrade We add him to our life. He doesn't want to be that. He wants to be God. In fact, he refuses to be anything else. And so Elijah tells this woman, I want you to feed me first. And she goes, I guess, you know, we can skip one meal. We're going to die anyways. And she feeds Elijah. And he prays for her. And God moves in in a supernatural way. And she has the never-ending oil jar and the never-ending flour. And every single day through the rest of the famine, she's provided for supernaturally by God himself. 
Think about being able to tell your child, did you see how God took care of us where the oil didn't run out? You think the main blessing was just the finances? How amazing if you lived a supernatural life. And yet we all don't want that, do we? Because what we'd rather have is that God meets all of our needs and then we, we, get, we tip him. God doesn't take tips, he takes tithes. God doesn't want to tip. God doesn't go, I have a question for you after the message today. Just a couple questions for you. That's not, he doesn't do that. He says, I am your source. I am your shield. I am your provision. Your provision does not come from the government and how bad they are at setting up a basic budget. Your provision does not come from the economy. Your provision does not come from your job. Your provision doesn't even come out of your own awesomeness. I will provide for you, but will you put me first? And so the principle of the tithe says, in my money, I'll put God first. Now, here's something cool about this. This is the only place in the Bible where God himself says, you can actually put me to the test. I think God understands that money is the thing that we wrestle with almost more than anything with like actually treating God like God. And so he says in Malachi 3.10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. When I was a young boy, my parents taught us about the principle of tithing. They said, we give God the first 10% of our income and we honor him. It's an act of worship. It's an act of faithfulness. It's an act of obedience. And I've done this ever since I was a small child. Bethany and I, we tithe. Every dollar that comes in, we give 10%. We teach our kids and we've never been let down by God. We've put God to the test and he has always shown himself faithful, not just to give us enough, but to give us more than enough, to bless us. Tithing is something we do also into the storehouse. We live in a, a generation where even within the Christian church, there's a lot of deconstruction and false teaching and things like that. But you need to understand something about the church that you are in right now. This pastor speaking to you right now, me, I'm not a hireling. I don't work for you and I don't work for Joy Church. I work for God. And I have a great fear in my life to make sure I speak true things. Let me just tell you right now, Bethany and I, we tithe, we give to the storehouse, our local church out of obedience because we're Christians. My, our salary that we get, we're grateful to work for Joy Church. Praise God, I'm so grateful to have a job. But if it ever came down to not speaking truth and, and being a hireling, we wouldn't work here. We'd go speak truth somewhere else, right? We don't get a raise if you guys give, if we give. That's not how it even is set up. We have an oversight committee. We have transparency in our finances. I'm so grateful for that. So I'm speaking to you heart to heart, disciple to disciple, pastor to flock, amen? And I'm telling you right now, we live in this culture where we're told, oh, well, you know, tithing, that's Old Testament. That's not New Testament. You're right. In fact, in the New Testament, they gave everything. So if anybody wants to have that vote, I mean, I don't. I prefer to like, thanks, Lord, for this law. <laughs> I want some law. 10%. 10% is like just to get you into the generosity game. 10% is like saying, I just honor God with finances. It's almost like how I worship God on Sunday and the first part of my week with my checkbook, I worship God with the first 10%. And then the real blessing zone in generosity, which I love, is when we get to give above and beyond. Getting to give way above and beyond 10% means God is blessing me and I'm blessed to be a blessing and that's a fun zone to be in. But here's what tithing means. 
It means giving to your local storehouse, to your church. If you're a member of Joy Church, this is your storehouse. Bethany and I, when we tithe every month, you know, where we don't, we don't, we don't pick and choose. We don't go, well, I'm going to give. We, we're creative. We're American. We get to do what we want. It's Burger King. Have it your way. We, we tithe to Joy Church. Do you know why? Because this is where my family is planted, where my children are fruitful, where we are together as a community, and so we give into our storehouse. That is what tithing means. And here in the Old Testament, they brought it to the temple, and that was to take care of the Levites and the operation of the temple and the care for the poor and all that kind of stuff. It's a little different in the 21st century, but it's not that different. Here it looks like paying for our staff that does ministry and everything here. It's paying the mortgage and the facility costs, the ministry expenses, our outreach and evangelism, giving to world missions, church planting, the benevolence we do for the poor, uh, and the local missions that, that we partner with, making our city look more like heaven. Now this tithe issue, amen, this tithe issue is something that is an, a test of obedience and discipline, and it demonstrates trust and priority. That is trusting God with the tithe. Now for anybody that wants to learn more about this, because I don't have time to talk all about it and, and lay out everything in a 30-minute message, we have a position paper on our website. If you go to joyeugene.com backslash give, there's a position paper there. I'd love to have a conversation with you. And if you're like, it's not in the Bible, it is in the Bible. I'll show you it's in the Bible. And if you want a New Testament standard, understand that Jesus always deepened standards. He never lowered them. He literally said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to, I came to fulfill the law. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. The Old Testament said, don't murder. Jesus says, don't even be angry in your heart. Old Testament said, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, don't even lust in your heart. If the Old Testament said, tithing is this principle, and Jesus himself says, don't stop, then what is the actual New Testament principle of generosity? We honor the law, and now we get to actually go deeper, because instead of just playing by the rules and giving 10% to God, we actually say, now that I have a recreated new uh, heart, I'm going to be generous from the core, which means I'm all in with my finances. So tithing is not like the upgraded Christian financial. That's like the bottom level. This is where a lot of people think, well, if I tithe, I've reached Christianity like I'm a mature Christian. No, you're a baby Christian, and you're barely out of diapers when you start tithing. Praise God? Okay, because like that's where it's at, all right? Just because we as a culture are insane and we don't honor God with our finances doesn't mean we're geniuses or like super disciplined when we do very basic biblical things. Now, if that's where you are and that's where your faith is, praise God. But I just want to be clear about that. Okay, number four, dare God to bless you. This is this statement that I say often in my prayer. God, if you get it to me, you'll get it through me. God, if you'll bless me financially in my life, which God has, uh, then I'm going to be generous and I'm not going to have empty hands. I'm going to have open hands. I find that a lot of times the most broke people, being broke has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. Being broke has to do with how you think about money. You see, money is not my master. So as God has blessed Bethany and I through our side businesses and different things and given us more resources and helped us get out of debt and blessed us on our journey, because money's never been our master, we're not uncomfortable with it or without it because our fulfillment and satisfaction comes from Christ. But what I say is, Lord, if you'll bless my, my businesses, God, if you'll bless my investments, God, if you'll bless my vehicles, if you'll bless my house, you know my heart is that I'm your servant. And God is very happy to have blessed servants that can carry out 
what he wants to do in the world. And this is what God wants to do in our life. And so I want to live my life in this position where I'm like, God, I dare you to bless me in a shocking way. Like, I really believe that some of you in this room are called by God as a divine mandate to make millions or even billions of dollars. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. But not by winning the lottery. Maybe that way too, but by using your God-given gifts and abilities and walking in wisdom, but as your heart is set right for the kingdom of God, it's so you're blessed to be a blessing, which doesn't mean you're not blessed. One of the things I think we think about when we talk about as Christians, oh, you're blessed to be a blessing, is that you're poor and everybody else gets your money. No, blessed people look blessed. Abraham, when he rolled into places, he had 318 trained servants. That was his servant group. That was his posse. If you've got 318 trained servants, nobody thinks you're Poe. They know you can afford all the letters, right? They know. So when God blesses you, other people are going to see that blessing. His plan for you is not to have empty hands. It's to have open hands where your resources are under the lordship of Christ. Generosity is the posture of your heart. And your bank statement actually is like the gospel in that it shows where the first priority of your life is. That you're God-centered, you're kingdom-centered, and you're blessed to be a blessing. And I know I'm a little bit over time, but I want to cast vision for us. I believe, as above, so below, that as, as God is working in our church as a generous church, God wants to stir this in your spirit that you would catch a vision that whatever level financially or wherever you are, good or bad in money, that God wants to take you to a higher level in this area and that he can use us together to literally transform our city. I was talking to Bethany the, today about this and I, or the other day and I said, I've been you know, reading and God's kind of spoken to me to have more faith, not to believe that our church is just going to stop at a particular level, but that we can literally be a hub for transformation in our city. When I say things like, I want us to be the largest donor to the, to the social well-being of our city, those are not just words. I mean it. I think it would be incredible if God's people were known as the most radically generous over the top, serving the city where no one could even deny the goodness of God. Because all we had to do is like, look what we do with our money. God blesses us and we bless others. We're generous to the core. That is who we are as a church. And if we'll catch heart of that, God's going to provide everything we need, but also above and beyond and be a blessing to the community around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bow your head and close your eyes, please. As we finish here today, I want to make an opportunity for anybody that's here that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We just talked about tithing and giving and a generous heart. You know, the very first thing that happens in Christianity is not that you give God anything. It's that he gave us everything. He sent heaven's best. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and mine. There's no amount of money that could quantify the value of the perfect sinless blood of the lamb that was paid poured out for your sins and mine, where God created a way for you to be reconciled with him. And so if you're here today and you say, I'm ready to start this journey as a disciple of Jesus, as his follower, I want to give him my life, my attention, my allegiance. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, could you just lift up your hand so I can see? I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. Just lift it up. Let me see. Come on, anybody in this place, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to pray this prayer together. Thank you. Awesome. We're going to pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life, all the good and the bad. 
I surrender it to you. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your grace and mercy revealed at the cross. Thank you for giving your life for me. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate that today.